Hello, and welcome back to the Urban Tech Podcast. I'm John Tony, the founder of Urban Tech, and your guide to the intersection of cities and tech. Let's get to it. Today's a very special episode. It actually is a two-parter. In the first part, I'm going to talk about a special series we launched last week as part of celebration for Urban Tech's one-year anniversary. Yes, one year ago last week, I sent out the very first edition of Urban Tech. I'll link that edition in our show notes. It's a pretty fun edition. I reviewed The Color of Law, which is one of my favorite books on housing issues, written by Berkeley professor Richard Rothstein. I just want to say before we get to kind of the main content, for those that have been readers readers of Urban Tech and listeners to the Urban Tech podcast and also our paid subscribers, I want to say thank you for all the support that you've given us over the last year. I launched Urban Tech on my way to grad school because I was hoping to write about this intersection of cities and tech that I find so fascinating. Thank you for all the love, support, and feedback you've continued to give as we've continued to make Urban Tech the go-to place for people interested in cities and tech. There's a lot more to do and I'd love to hear from you. Please, if you have any notes on how we can continue to make Urban Tech better, either on the free side or on the paid side, I'd love to hear from you. So please shoot me a note at john at urbantechnews.net. And on that note, also, you should, if you're listening to this, you should consider joining our paid community of Urban Tech professionals. Over the next couple of weeks, we're going to be rolling out more exclusive content, networking events, and also more job resources, since that's something that I've heard from a lot of Urban Tech subscribers they're interested in getting more of. One of the areas, which is going to be kind of the first part of this pod, is some events and content around the Urban Tech market map, which we launched last week on the site. You can go, it's linked in show notes, but the urban tech market map kind of is, paints a little bit of a picture of the urban tech industry and covers a lot of the companies that we've talked to for this podcast or for the newsletter or that we've covered. And it's really our intention with this series to map out the industry and really capture the companies that are moving and shaping the intersection of cities and tech. The second part of this conversation is a recent conversation that I had with Sean Donovan, who is running for New York City mayor and also served under President Obama as Secretary of Housing and Urban Development. It was a great conversation that we shared with Urban Tech Premium subscribers a few weeks ago. It's one of the benefits of joining Urban Tech. You get access to all of our content early. So I sat down with Sean a couple of times, and this is an excerpt from my second sit-down where he explains kind of his vision for running for mayor and talking about some of the challenges that lay ahead. But for the first part of the pod, I wanted to kind of quickly overview the Urban Tech Market Map. You should go and check it out on our site. So the Urban Tech Market Map is a project that we're launching to be our first multi-series project that we're going to cover in the newsletter and in the podcast for months and probably years to come. So this is just the start. So Urban Tech started as a free newsletter last summer. And after 12 months, we've published over 70,000 words about cities and tech, launched a podcast about cities and tech, and launched a paid model and community to support our work, which you should consider joining so you get access to our exclusive content, jobs, resources, and members-only events, which we're actually hosting an event next week on the Urban Tech Market Map and hosting a little info session on what it means to be an urban tech member. You can shoot me a note at john at urbantechnews.net. We want to use this as our way of doing more deep dive content and researching the nascent urban tech space. I think one of the exciting things, but also challenging things is the space is still growing and is pretty nascent. So I think what's 
been fun is we're really getting to kind of as a community of people interested in cities and tech getting to build out really what companies are here and what's in the space. When I started writing urban tech while still working as a media consultant before grad school, I had a really simple model for curating stories from around the space. Because although I would write things on interesting books and a long form piece, a lot of what I sent in the first early months of urban tech was just a curation of what I was reading. Love a good curation style newsletter. But the model that I used followed as such. Every company, policy change, or news story that we included fell into one of three buckets. Real estate tech, mobility tech, or logistics tech. And one of the key thesis or themes for any of our content was that none of these three spaces exist in a vacuum and are all intersectional in some way. And many overlap in a lot of ways. Thinking about companies like Uber or Amazon, they really touch all three, these three verticals. The everything store Amazon is probably the easiest example to point to and explain how this first version of the urban tech map is organized. For the map, we decided our definition of a logistics tech company involved is the company's main mission is to effectively and efficiently move goods for customers. So more on the commerce side. While in transportation, we define that as companies that are focused on the mobility or movement of people. So Amazon is an interesting company in the way that it fits into both of those spaces. And I would say the reason why is because obviously on its main business line of delivering commerce, it's a logistics company. But last summer, Amazon acquired autonomous driving startup Zooks, which is attempting to build technology to unlock autonomous vehicles for human transportation. And so the other thing third category we feature in the map is the real estate tech side. And that's probably the easiest and biggest section on the map and maybe the most traditional. The real estate side is probably a little bit easier to say because I would say in the urban tech space, this is probably outside of transportation mobility, this is probably the actual largest space. So the companies we include in this are companies that are focused on technology and really land, I would say, in the intersection of that. Or they're more back end and focused on the business of real estate, which is certainly an area we're going to be expanding more to. So some of the companies on the real estate tech side include WeWork. Convene, Common, Zeus Living, Zillow, iBuyers of that nature, Sonder and hospitality companies, Latch, which is a lock company and a digital lock company for commercial buildings and prop tech, Atmos, which is a company I interviewed in August for a construction tech piece that I was writing. And then, so some of the companies in the mobility tech startup that you might recognize, Lyft, Uber, Bird, Spin, Waymo, Ways, all of which I've written on over the past year or so. And then logistics tech, some of the companies in that bucket obviously include Amazon, Uber Eats, Convoy, GoPuff, which is one that I'm looking forward to doing a deep dive on. A reader actually suggested that. And so I'd love to hear if you have any thoughts on where you'd like the market map series to go. Please shoot me an email at john at urbantechnews.net or join the urban tech community and send me a note on Slack. One of the quick areas that I know over the next couple of weeks we're going to do is we're going to explore each of the three areas a little bit more in depth and outline some of the major trends that we saw this last year, whether it's trends in funding or 
it's trends and changes around cities. Like I know for real estate tech, one of the conversations that I have coming up and I'm interested in diving in is the future of co-working and office space. There's a big conversation and questioning whether we have an oversaturation of office spaces. We need more housing. What does the future of remote work? So I'm talking to a CEO of a co-working company later this summer and also we'll be diving into that topic. And some areas that I call out in the piece that aren't included on this first version of the map include companies that are building products directly for urban planners or government officials. That's kind of its own bucket or kind of, of GovTech. Some of the companies that I've spoken to involved in that are like Zen City, Remix. We will also continue to be taking our reader and subscriber suggestions on what companies to include. That link is in show notes. If your company is not included on this first version of the Urban Tech Market Map, please let us know. We'd love to include you. So one of the most exciting things I think about the Urban Tech Market Map, and wow, it's so early, it's really proving that this Urban Tech space is even bigger than I could have imagined and that there's a lot more interesting content and analysis that we can do. And through launching a paid version of Urban Tech, we'll be able to support the work and also grow by not only having one content creator. So consider joining Urban Tech. And the second part of my conversation is now with Sean Donovan. I talked to Sean about his plans if he wins the mayoral election and his thoughts on urban tech in the space and how technology can work better with cities. Sean's a super smart guy. He understands these issues pretty well. He's dealt with them at the local level when he worked in the Bloomberg administration and also obviously at the federal level working under President Obama during the 2008 housing crisis. So I really appreciated Sean giving the time and I hope you enjoy the conversation. Now to my conversation with New York City mayoral candidate and former U.S. HUD Secretary Sean Donovan. So, yeah. So, Sean, uh, thank you for taking time to join me and coming back to join us on the Urban Tech Podcast. We had a little bit of technical difficulties the last time, but if you want to introduce yourself, I think that would be amazing. And I don't know, I might either run this at the top or as part of it. So if you just want to introduce Hey, I'm Sean Donovan. So great to be with you, John. I am a lifelong New Yorker and the son of a techie, actually, and um, have spent most of my career in public service in New York City and across the country, helping the city and the country recover from crisis after crisis. And uh, I'm eager to be mayor at this time of crisis to help rebuild New York and to reimagine it as a, as a city of the future, a city that works for everyone. Thanks. So we got to chat a couple of weeks ago and something we talked a little about is how being mayor in this time during a crisis is very different than maybe past mayorships where you're coming in with aspirations and big plans. And I think you talked about your time in the Obama administration and also in the Bloomberg administration talking about some of the crisis crises that you faced. Um, I'd love if maybe you could just talk a little bit about how you're thinking about kind of this time of urban leadership and city leadership. And I think something that we had a really great conversation about is how really I think the New York City mayor sets a lot of the tone of urban leadership for the rest of the country and is really at the front. So I'd love to hear your thoughts just a little bit about how you're thinking about 
in this time of crisis for New York? How do you balance doing aspirational big stuff with doing the efficiency and I don't know, the things that you have to do to make the city function? Yeah, look, um, you don't have the luxury of being able to just focus on one or the other. I think the best mayors understand that at a moment of crisis, you actually have the opportunity to do big things. And uh, President Obama used to say to us, you cannot let a crisis go to waste. So the first thing you have to do is end the health pandemic. We, we have over half a million New Yorkers who are still out of work and you've got to get them back to work. You've got to get the economy restarted and, and open again. You've got to give people confidence that New York is back and fun. Um, I would fill every vacant storefront with arts and culture. I would fill our public places. Uh, you know, I'll never forget, John, as a kid, the I Love New York campaign. Uh, I have plans for an I Still Love New York campaign that would let every New Yorker who's here, every New Yorker who's left, everybody around the world who's been locked in their Zoom box this past year, that we're back and we're the place that you wanna come to reconnect to arts and culture and people. And so that's gonna be incredibly important in the short run. But at the other end of the scale, we should also remember that this is kind of a new New Deal moment. What do I mean by that? We may have $5 trillion in federal aid that gets passed this year, not just to help families and businesses rebuild from the crisis, but infrastructure investments, climate investments. And New York, could and should be the leading city in the world in many of those areas. You know, I like to talk about Fiorella LaGuardia, who was the most transformational mayor in the city's history. That happened because he was mayor during the original New Deal, had a deep relationship with FDR, who was president, and was able to make sure New York City benefited more by far than any other city in the country from New Deal investments. If, if I were mayor, I could do that same thing today in New York City because of my deep relationships with President Biden, with leaders in Congress. And just to be very specific, imagine if we could capture a huge share of the climate investments with wind power coming to the East Coast, we could become a center for uh, the work that would install and maintain all the technology jobs that are going to be connected to how to maximize and, and uh, ensure that New York is getting the flow into our smart buildings and smart meters right. There's a whole industry around climate tech that we could capture. Public health and biotech, same thing. We now know of all the work we have to do to protect New York from the next pandemic. And New York should be at the forefront of that public health and biotech work. That's why I would create new centers around, around the city. And here's, here's one last point on that. Again, never let a crisis go to waste. We know that the city is gonna look different in the future. We're probably gonna work from home a few days a week. We're gonna need less office space. That means we have a big chance to look at some of this vacant office space to create incubators for new startups and jobs, but also maybe to convert some of them to affordable housing, to make New York a more affordable city that can attract talent and drive growth and, and innovation in the, in the future. So there's so many ways that at a moment like this, we need a leader who understands that we can't let a crisis go to waste. 
Yeah, no, I love that point. And I think something we talked about last time was kind of, I think your plans are like, I know a lot of the conversations around putting a life sciences campus and center in New York and kind of looking to do that. And we talked a little bit about Cornell Tech and how Roosevelt Island was really, I think, a catalyst and has been a catalyst in New York so far. So I love those points. And I think kind of to your point about the I love New York campaign and the I love still New York campaign. I, I love you brought that up because I think some of the conversations I'm having with like more startups and like companies helping, I think local leadership, it's like understanding sentiments and like how people, how their constituents feel. And I think it's a really hard thing to actually understand because a lot of people don't have the time to go to public comment. And I guess really something that I'm seeing, it's like a lot of economic development's really good storytelling. It's like, how do you tell the story about a place to attract people to a city? And that's what I think about like the I Love New York campaign. It's really good marketing. It's like, how do you market a city to people to move there and to go there? So I'm curious how you think about, I guess, New York and kind of how you attract kind of a new generation of New Yorkers, if that makes sense. Like, I'm not from New York, um, but I lived there for seven years. I went to Syracuse and stuff. But how do you, I guess, kind of create that vibrancy to attract people who maybe never thought about living in New York, but that because of the economic opportunity or this catalytic moment, um, how do you think about that? And how, as a mayor, you set the tone, you would set the tone to attract kind of people who maybe New York wasn't their first option or might feel like it's too expensive and looking at secondary cities like Austin or places where the housing affordability and things of that nature. Well, John, I'd, I'd come at that in, in two ways because we do have to continue to attract talent from around the country and around the world, but we also have to build talent here. And we need to make sure that every New Yorker has the chance to participate in the jobs of the future. And so I'd, I'd, I'd really focus on both those. On, on your first question, I do think a lot of it is making sure that we have a baseline of quality of life. Uh, because let's face it, in, in the modern economy, talent decides where to live and companies and capital follow. And so quality of life is in many ways the most important economic development tool that any mayor has. And I mean, safe streets and clean streets. I mean, ending homelessness and improving our schools. And I mean, arts and culture, the kinds of things that you know, we were just talking about. You know, I remember walking around the gates, the, the incredible Cristo art project that was in Central Park. Uh, I was walking around that with Mike Bloomberg. And, I said, you know, wow, this is just so beautiful. And he said, you know what's beautiful? We just looked at the numbers yesterday about how many people have been, have been attracted to New York to come and see this. And it is those kind of signature efforts that really say, wow, New York is different. It's a place that's doing innovative things that is creating, whether it's art and culture um, or, or places in the city that nobody else is. Cornell Tech is, a, is another example of that. And so, we need more signature projects like that. One of my other ideas is let's take Floyd Bennett Field, an old, pretty much abandoned airfield in Jamaica Bay. Let's turn it into an innovation zone of testing for autonomous vehicles, for drones, and, and really send a signal that New York is a leader and wants to be a leader in all of these emerging fields. So there's a lot that we can do on that front, uh, but it comes back to, the, those kind of signature projects, as well as the basics of 
uh, running the city. And, you know, Fiorello LaGuardia used to say there's no Republican or Democratic way to take out the trash. Unfortunately, these last eight years, we've had a mayor who thinks everything is political and ideological, not just focusing on making the city work better. But then I do want to shift to say we one of the challenges New York has had is that our tech jobs, our jobs of the future haven't been open to everyone in the city. And we see that reflected in the lack of diversity in tech jobs. And we see it reflected in things like the, the Amazon debacle, where we had uh, a, an international company that wanted to come and locate tens of thousands of jobs, good paying jobs. And our mayor couldn't make that happen because he couldn't build the consensus. He couldn't build the community partnerships that would have allowed it to come. So I went to Long Island City yesterday, actually, to launch my ed tech platform. And the whole idea is let's make sure that every kid growing up in the city can see themselves in a job of the future. Let's start with STEM and tech education early. Let's create more specialized schools like the Queens Technical High School I was standing in front of yesterday. And then let's create the partnerships into jobs. Every single high school student in New York should have at least one paid internship apprenticeship before they graduate. 10,000 of those I've committed would be in tech. And let's use CUNY, which is one of the jewels of our public education system to better connect as well. I'd, I'd create a center for the future of work at CUNY. And then I'd connect CUNY two-year and four-year colleges into those jobs. And, and again, an example, LaGuardia Community College is in Long Island City where uh, Amazon would have come. Gail Mello was all excited to build a coding bootcamp on-ramp for her students who are mostly low-income immigrants to be able to take those jobs. If, if we'd had a mayor who really built those kind of partnerships, I think the community would have welcomed uh, Amazon to come because it would have benefited everyone. And that's the key is we need to build a coalition for equitable growth that ensures that as we become the leading tech city in the world, it, everyone benefits from that. And every New Yorker, every child in the city sees that growth as something good for them and their families. Yeah, no, I love that point. And I think that's super important. So I know um, you're too busy. So I don't want to take up too much more of your time. So I only have like two more questions. And I think kind of to that point of, I don't know, and I think big projects and you're talking about that. And I think something we talked about was expanding broadband access and kind of that infrastructure. And when you think about providing access to the tools and resources to get people into the innovation economy and kind of participate, right? I think that's something that New York is maybe doing better than a lot of other cities or at least working on, it seems like, and trying to do. I don't know. I'm from Houston and there's not a lot of conversations about broadband access in Houston right now. Um, so I'm curious how you're thinking about this infrastructure and how as mayor and kind of you would partner and really do that to build it out and really, I think, support the tech economy, because I think that's kind of a big initiative. And, you know, we talked a little bit about it the last time we chatted. Yeah. Well, John, look. If we didn't know before COVID that broadband is the critical infrastructure of the 21st century, we certainly know now. And, and if you look at the way so many children were left behind in school, so many seniors were isolated in their homes, unable to get medicine or meals because they lacked good, good access, or even where there was access and you know families that were using maybe one or two devices at a time were now using six uh, the, the speed and the reliability of broadband became a huge issue. And so, again, we cannot let a crisis go to waste. This is a moment 
to really double down on a strategy for universal access to affordable broadband. And here's what we know, that for New York City, it's not like many rural places where it's just about wiring. Uh, many communities are wired, but don't have reliable, fast service that is affordable. And so what I would do very first thing is map the city and understand really where our technological deserts are. And I would create a partnership with our private providers to accelerate installation of higher speed, but especially to figure out how to get affordable devices and service, because the biggest challenge in New York is the affordability of service that's fast enough. And one of the things that would be really helpful that I can do that other candidates can't is I really understand where funding is available through the Federal Communications Commission, FCC has huge investments that they can bring. And through the jobs bill that President Biden is, is proposing, huge investments in broadband access. So I would create a partnership with the federal government, bring the resources we need to quickly get to universal affordable broadband across the city and prioritize construction and changes in the, the neighborhoods with the least access at this point. But the other thing we should recognize is that's not gonna be overnight. And we need to think about interim strategies. We know, and we saw it during the pandemic, that they're critical community institutions. Our libraries should be open seven days a week with extended hours. They are a lifeline for technology for so many people. Um, and you could see it during the pandemic, folks going and sitting outside libraries, even when they were closed, just to be able to get decent broadband. And so we need to be thinking in the short term about how to make sure all of our libraries and other community uh, resources been to, to ensure there's access right away for everybody in the city. No, I love that point on libraries. And I used to work with Brooklyn Public Library and kind of library system in New York, I think is truly one of the crown jewels of New York City. And I wish every city's library system was had the resources and issues. So I love that point. So my last question, what didn't I ask you that I should have? What did I leave out here? What is important about city or tech that I should have brought up or gotten your thoughts on? Yeah, so just stepping back a little bit, John, I think the issue we face is this crisis has not just exposed a health pandemic and an economic pandemic. It's also exposed a pandemic of inequality. And tech is one piece of thinking about how we build neighborhoods that are truly equitable. I mean, just, just to put a fine point on it, you can predict the life chances, even the life expectancy of a child in New York City by the zip code they grow up in. And, and just to be specific, from the Upper East Side to East Harlem, just a few blocks away, it's almost two decades different of life expectancy from you know about 80 years old to almost 100 years old that, that we, uh, we expect uh, people to live. And, and that's wrong in a city. We should make sure that every neighborhood is a neighborhood of opportunity. And to do that, we've really got to change the way that we plan our cities. And what do I mean by that? Well, I would move toward what are called 15-minute neighborhoods. Every neighborhood, every New Yorker should know that they have within 15 minutes of their front door everything they need for opportunity. And that means a great school for their kids, 
It means a job that sustains their family. It means housing they can afford. It means transportation that gets them around the city quickly. But as we've seen with COVID, it also is healthcare available in their neighborhood, whether to get a COVID test or a vaccine, to get the primary care they need, the preventive care, but it's also things like fresh food and a park. One of the reasons that we saw disproportionate death rates in black and brown communities from COVID is the underlying health differentials that lead to higher rates of diabetes uh, or obesity because there aren't good parks, because there isn't good fresh food. And so we really need to reorient the way we plan our city. I'm, I'm a former architect and planner and really think that that's something with the right mayor that we could fundamentally change, especially at this new New Deal moment where we're going to have trillions of dollars of federal investment in our communities, in infrastructure. Now is the time to change the way we think about our city and the way we plan our city so that it becomes not just a stronger city, but a more equitable city as well, a city that works for everyone. No, I love that point. And I think... Thank you for taking the time with me, Sean. Um, this was great. And I'm glad I got to chat with you again. And we got to uh, actually get the uh, right audio after the technical difficulties on the first time. So thank you for taking the time on, a, I'm sure, a busy Memorial Day weekend uh, campaigning and in the midst of a race. Thank you, John.